It's time to look at God's Word. Well, we've actually been doing that kind of the whole meeting, haven't we? Let's go to Exodus chapter 20. Cam, thank you for reminding us of Fred Cato, dear friend of mine. Dr. Brooks, thank you for leading us in worship. I don't see where you are, brother, but you can still hit the high notes. <laughs> well done. Exodus chapter 20. We are in a series on the Ten Commandments. So Jared introduced the series by giving us an overview, recovering God's moral code. Then we talked about having no other gods, no carved images, not taking the name of the Lord in vain. And today we are on the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. So let's begin reading. Are you there? Are you at Exodus 20? Okay, Exodus 20. We're going to begin reading at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. When we think of the Sabbath, or when we think of Sabbath keeping, I suppose that one of the first things that may come to mind is the 1981 award-winning movie, Chariots of Fire. That movie told the story of two world-class sprinters, Harold Abrahams and Eric Little, as they approached the 1924 Olympics in Paris. Eric Little, one of the fastest men in the world, refused to compete in his qualifying heats because they were scheduled on Sunday. Of course, Little's conscience had been shaped by the fourth commandment. His refusal to set aside his Sabbath-keeping convictions for the athletic glory of Great Britain proved to be an enormous front-page scandal in England. When we think of the Sabbath or Sabbath-keeping, we may also think of Chick-fil-A, which is closed on Sundays. The convictions of Truett Cathy, the CEO and founder of Chick-fil-A, 
were likewise shaped by the fourth commandment. So he required that all Chick-fil-A restaurants, whether company-owned or franchised, be closed on Sundays to allow its employees to rest, to attend church, and to spend time with their families. Now, whether you agree with Eric Little's strict Sabbatarian views or not, whether you agree with Truett Cathy's convictions or not, all of us, each of us, should do what they did, and that is develop our own strong, solid, settled convictions and practices informed by this, the fourth commandment. Concerning the Sabbath, do you know what you believe? And is your life then a reflection of what you believe? Like the other nine commandments, this commandment instructs us how to live our lives in a manner that pleases the Lord. But there's a complexity to the fourth commandment that we don't encounter with the other nine. There's a complexity, first, because subsumed under the fourth commandment was an entire body of ceremonial law for the geopolitical nation of Israel, which included a full calendar of fasts and feasts and new moons. New moons were like celebrations of the Lord each new month. They were fast, feasts, new moons, and Sabbaths. There's also a complexity because while Paul strongly opposed the legalism of the Judaizers who wanted to put new Christians under moral obligation to observe those Jewish fasts and feasts and new moons and Sabbaths, Paul also taught that Christ died on the cross so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we might not only be free from condemnation, but it, that the law might be fulfilled in our lives. Dr. Brooks stopped at Romans 8, verse 2. If he read Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, he would see that by the power, Paul is expecting believers to fulfill the requirements of the law. That's a little bit complex. There's also complexity because while Jesus opposed the Pharisees on the Sabbath, on their understanding of the Sabbath, he also taught his disciples in Matthew 5 to not relax any of the commandments, even the least of the commandments, but to do them and to teach them. Brothers and sisters, our problem with the Sabbath today is not like the problem Jesus had with the Pharisees with all their regulations that were stapled to the commandment or added to the commandment. It's not like the problem that Paul had with the, the Judaizers. Our problem with the Sabbath today is, is not like a Judaizing problem. Nobody is insisting that God's people, among other things, keep the calendar of holy days and Sabbaths. Instead, we're generally, not, 
not universally, but generally as evangelicals in the West, we are generally guilty of dismissing the importance of the Sabbath altogether. We dismiss the principles of the Sabbath as, as if what they taught have been, as if those principles have been abrogated, as if the fourth commandment has no relevance for Christian living, as if it were impossible for a Christian to violate in any measure what is laid out in this good commandment for all people at all times. So let's, let's study the commandment closely. Let's look at it phrase by phrase. Do you still have your Bibles open? Yeah. All right, glance down as we, as we walk through this clause by clause, all right? Remember the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day. This, this is a command to remember something important. It's a command to remember something that too many Christians have forgotten. And that is, it's a command to remember the first Sabbath. That's seen in verse 11. You can see there in verse 11 that it begins to talk about how God made the earth in six days and then rested. That's hearkening back to Genesis chapter 2, the opening verses of Genesis chapter 2. Don't turn there, but, but they're up on the screen. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So... God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because God rested from all his works that he had done in creation. That is what the fourth commandment requires us to remember. Remember the Sabbath. And I wonder, do, do we remember the Sabbath? Do we remember that from the foundation of the world, God set apart one day in seven to establish for all those who were made in his image an ordered weekly rhythm of work and rest and worship? Remember the Sabbath day. Second clause, to keep it holy to keep it holy. God made the Sabbath day holy. He set it apart. He made it unique. God made the Sabbath day different, and God blessed and hallowed that seventh day. And because God made it holy, here he commands Israel to keep it holy. He made it holy, and he tells us to keep it holy, to set apart one day in seven to not work, but instead to delight in God's work following the example of God himself. Then it goes on to say, look at your Bibles, six days you shall labor and do all your work. So, 
The fourth commandment not only directs us to rest one day in seven, it directs us to work the other six days. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. This part of the fourth commandment calls us to productive work. And that call also harkens back to the book of Genesis concerning the order that God established for humankind at the beginning. For when God created man, he commanded the man to work and keep the garden. That was before the fall. Then he commanded our first parents to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth with people and to subdue the earth. There's work involved in all of that. And the New Testament restates this part of the commandment when it commands us to work if we want to eat. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. It tells us to do honest work Honest work with our hands, 1 Thessalonians 4. And it tells us to do our work heartily, that means with all our hearts, as unto the Lord. Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24. So, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Then the next clause, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. The seventh day is a Shabbat. That's the Hebrew word that means a ceasing. It's a ceasing. It's a ceasing from the ordinary work of the other six days. So Wayne Grudem says in speaking of this fourth commandment, he says, God was teaching his people that he was pleased both when they worked in a way that honored him and when they rested in a way that imitated and honored him as well. Similarly, today, God is pleased when we work at various jobs in obedience to him, and also when we rest from that work in order to worship him and enjoy the fruit of our labors. Certainly, God did not need a rest. He didn't need a break from all his hard work. God is infinite. He doesn't need a rest. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. But we do. We do. So out of his great love for us, knowing that we're finite, out of his love for us, knowing our tendency to grow weary, out of his love for us, knowing that we are but flesh, God established One day in seven for us to rest. Thank God. Grudem continues. He says, in order to prevent people from working all the time, God commanded them not to work one day a week. This is a warning against making work so intense that we neglect our health, our family responsibilities, our time in church, our private time with the Lord, and our time in fellowship with Christian friends. Now, you say, boy, you know, I don't know what will happen to me if I don't work as much as I work. Well, the, the Israelites had the same problem. It took faith for the Israelites to keep the Sabbath. 
their Gentile competitors kept working. Seven days a week. So the command for the whole nation, the whole nation, to cease from working one day in seven was a test of faith. It was a call to Israel, and by implication, a call to us, to abandon self-reliance. It was a call to trust the Lord for provision. It was a call to believe that if they devoted one day in seven to resting in God and one day in seven to delighting in the glory of God, that the Lord would provide. So it was to be a Sabbath, a ceasing that was done in faith. And the next clause says, to the Lord your God. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So the, the Sabbath was a day set apart as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. It's, it's a ceasing from work unto the Lord. It was a day for every man to shift his focus away from the ground that he worked, away from physical necessities, away from the, the grind and the toil of labor, away from all of that to his maker and the creator of all things. And each Israelite was to do that not in the privacy of his own living room. but in holy convocation with God's people. When the Sabbath command was reiterated in Leviticus 23, God said it, God said it this way, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, solemn rest, pious rest, a day of solemn rest, a holy convocation. Notice that the Sabbath was not only a day of rest, it was to be a day of holy convo convocation. It was, it was a, a day of assembly unto the Lord, a day to delight ourselves in the Lord. So that Isaiah 58, 14 calls the people to make the Sabbath a Delight unto the Lord. Well, well, the principles now are beginning to come into focus as we've looked at as we've looked at the text. The last part of this, uh, before the final verse, which just basically reiterate, reiterates Genesis two, are these words: "On it, the seventh day is the Sabbath, and the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son." or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. It's very interesting, and commentators have pointed out through the years that wives are not mentioned. You know, you? <laughs> your son? Your, what about your wife? Well, Wives are, are not mentioned on the list, which doesn't mean that wives should just keep on working. 
what it, what it means is that this command was directed to both the husband and the wife so that together, having conversations, looking at the situation that each family is uniquely presented with so that together they would work out how to ensure that everyone, even the animals, even the working animals, would benefit from a Sabbath rest. And some of us need to have those conversations as well. Husbands and wives, put your heads together. Ascertain what your convictions are. Figure out how to make it work. Well, moving on from the text, let's consider what the New Testament teaches about the Sabbath. The New Testament teaches, and this is just going to be a, a, a flyover. This is, this is like a, a summary of what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament teaches that Christ perfectly fulfilled the law, including the requirements of the Sabbath. Jesus kept the Sabbath. And we're to, we're to follow his example, right? He's our master. We're supposed to be like him. Jesus kept the Sabbath, and he kept it perfectly. Luke 4.16 says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, or as was his habit, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So Jesus kept the part of the Sabbath that involved holy convocation, meeting with God's people. And even though it was his habit to go to the synagogue on Shabbat, he didn't keep the Sabbath the way the Pharisees expected him to. See, the, and you know this, the Pharisees had legalistic rules about what was considered forbidden work on the Sabbath. But God never intended to impose onerous restrictions on the Sabbath that would make the day a dreadful burden. The Sabbath was for man, Jesus rebuked. He said, don't you know, Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. So while Jesus violated the legalistic traditions surrounding the Sabbath, he never violated the fourth commandment. In fact, he lived it perfectly for us. So, however badly we may have forgotten the Sabbath, however badly we may have forgotten to keep it holy, Christ's active obedience has been imputed to all who believe. So that when God looks at the believer, he does not see our failure to keep the law. He sees Christ's perfect obedience to keep the law, which has been imputed to us and credited to our account. So that, while you may need to make some changes through the course of this Ten Commandments series, if you're a Christian, you stand justified. And, Dr. Brooks, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. Well, the New Testament also teaches that in Christ we have a glorious expansion of this Sabbath rest. The rest that Christ gives isn't just for one day a week. The rest that he gives is for every day. 
Jesus promised us and has delivered to us a deep and abiding and eternal Sabbath rest for our souls. Take a breath. There is rest in Christ every day. He said, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He goes on to say, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love the latter part of that verse, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I can't tell you how many times over the last three or four months I've taken a breath and said, you know, Lord, this is a, this is a lot of work. I'm tired, and the Lord just would whisper to my heart by His Spirit, Son, my yoke is easy and my burden is light if you'll find your rest in me. It's not that hard. Wonderful encouragement. So, Christ grants to us Sabbath rest every day from bearing the heavy burden of sin. Christ grants to us Sabbath rest from carrying the internal weight of guilt and shame. He grants to us a never-ending Sabbath rest from laboring to be good enough. I appreciated Sherry's prophetic word where she says, and you just don't feel like you're good enough. You can't be good enough. That's why Christ was good enough for you. So we are delivered from that labor and that burden of trying to be good enough for God to accept us. <laughs> There's not a single person who's going to be in heaven because they deserve it. Because they merited salvation apart from Christ. Every person who will be in heaven will be there because of the merits of Christ. And that person having put faith in that perfect sacrifice for sin and who have received the impartation of the righteousness of God which is ours in Christ. That's the only way to be in heaven. And we are delivered, thank God, to a rest from our own labors and trying to merit our salvation. Well, I could preach on that. There's other things to say. He gives us rest for our souls. The New Testament also teaches that in some important sense, the Sabbath is no longer a binding holy day for New Testament Christians. So Paul said to the Colossians, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon, those monthly celebrations of God to start the month with the Lord. Don't let anybody judge you with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, 
but the substance belongs to Christ. Don't let anyone judge you with regard to a Sabbath. And he said to the Romans, which was the Roman church, which was comprised of, of Saturday observant Jews and Gentiles who were not Saturday observant, he called them to agree to disagree. Romans 14, verses 5 and 6. One person esteems one day better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. So in light of all that that the New Testament teaches, the question inevitably arises, well, must we keep the fourth commandment then? Must we keep the fourth commandment? And I love Kevin DeYoung's clear and biblical answer to that question. Let's read DeYoung. De Must we keep the fourth commandment? The short answer is yes, but. Yes, we must keep the fourth commandment. It's part of God's revealed moral will for all people. But the way in which we keep the fourth commandment has changed. Jesus showed us the fullest, deepest meaning of the Sabbath, namely that we should trust God to be our provider, our sustainer, our deliverer, and our Savior. But the young goes on to say, that's not all that there is to say. Because the New Testament seems to treat the first day of the week as a new kind of Sabbath unto the Lord. So according to Luke, the Ephesian church gathered together on the first day of the week, Acts 20, verse 7. And so did the churches in Galatia, and so did the church in Corinth. Paul instructed them to take up the collection for the suffering church in Jerusalem on the first day of the week when they gathered. And by the time the apostle John was an old man, as we read in the book of Revelation, Revelation 1.10, the first day of the week had come to be known as the Lord's Day, a day belonging to the Lord, the Lord's Day, a day set apart for the Lord. So, reducing all of the complexity to simplicity I want to suggest to you, in fact, I want to strongly insist that there are two principles from the fourth commandment which clearly carry forward for us. And the first principle is that we take, that we set aside one day in seven to rest from our labors. The order that God established at creation is sufficient of itself to establish this principle. And the commandment merely calls the people of Israel to apply the principle. So let me, let me just pause for a moment and ask, do you take enough time to rest? I know people my age do. We have to. It's crazy. It's like I want to work, but man... Do you take enough time to rest, especially you younger men and women? Do you have a habit of ceasing from work one day per week 
and on occasion for longer periods. And if you do have a weekly day of rest, are your habits on that day truly restful? So many of us, myself included, make mistakes in this regard. Are your habits, when you're resting, truly restful? So often, when we have time to rest, our rest is not unto the Lord. We are enslaved to unhealthy patterns of rest so that the things when we do when resting leave us drained. Do your screens, your movies, your social media keep you from truly resting? Are they able to deliver a deep and abiding rest, the sort of rest that body and soul need? And when you have time to rest... Do you tend to indulge sin? If so, brothers, sisters, I can assure you that no matter how much you sleep, you'll return to the grind unrested, with a weary heart, and a distracted mind, and a restless conscience. Wouldn't it be better to break with unhelpful patterns of rest by engaging in fellowship or conversation or family fun or exercise or edifying reading or some act of mercy and kindness to someone? Oh, Jesus didn't refrain from doing acts of mercy on on the Sabbath. They said, hey, Jesus, you're working. Well, he found helping people to be refreshing rest. And you know what? We will too. It's wonderfully invigorating to show some kindness to someone and then feel their gratitude and enjoy it. So why not do those other things or maybe even just take a long nap? which is exactly what I'm going to do this afternoon. (laughs) So, the first principle which carries forward to us today is that we set aside one day in seven to rest from our ordinary labors. The second principle is that we set aside one day in seven to gather for worship. To gather for worship. Since the days of the... uh, I'm so glad so many of you do this already, by the way. I can't tell you Sunday after Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, I come into this room, and your presence here makes a difference in my life. Thank you. Thank you. Since the days of the apostles, Christians have set aside that one day in seven to gather for worship on the Lord's day. The New Testament exhorts us to this in ways that are meant to bind the conscience to abide by this principle. The New Testament calls us to this when it calls us to be devoted to one another, when it calls us to serve one another, when it calls us to use our gifts to edify and build up one another. And when it says very explicitly in Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, 
as is the habit of some. So let me ask, are you neglecting to one degree or another to meet together in holy convocation with the Lord's people, to have that day set apart where the priority is to magnify and exalt Christ, to delight in all that He is and all that He's done for us, to gather with God's people in worship and to sing His praises and to hear His Word proclaimed. Are you neglecting that to one degree or another? Have you gotten into the habit of working on the Lord's day? Have you gotten into the habit of prioritizing kids' sports over church? Look, if the Sabbath principle is to set aside one day in seven to worship, shouldn't the priority be to gather with the church each Lord's day? Shouldn't gathering in holy convocation to delight in the Lord, shouldn't that be your habit? It was for Jesus. And physically gathering, let me just say this parenthetically, is an important element in this. I love what, uh, what Gunderson says in this little booklet. Have you seen this? It's, what if I don't feel like going to church? I think we handed these out some months back. Gunnar Gunderson. I, I love his emphasis here. And in this little booklet, he talks about the power of presence. He talks about the importance of physical presence, and he also talks about the importance of an emotional presence. You all know what it's like to be in some social setting with someone. They're physically present, but they're not emotionally engaged. So both physical presence and emotional presence are important when we gather on the Lord's day. Now, I'm grateful for the live stream. I, me and my, my wife and my son and his wife and five of my grandkids, we watched the live stream when we were on vacation in North Carolina and loved watching you worship, singing along with the songs and hearing Rob's excellent sermon. It was great. But it's not as good as being here. It is not the same. Have you gotten into the habit of just watching online when you should be present? Let us not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some. Brothers and sisters, there, I can tell you there have been countless times where I haven't wanted to come to church on the Lord's Day. I mean, hundreds of times I haven't wanted to come to church on the Lord's Day. But you know, I can't think of a single time I ever regretted overruling that impulse and coming anyway. I never regretted it. Like I'm driving home saying, oh, I'm so glad we went to church. That was, I'm strengthened, I'm edified, I'm encouraged. Well, let me conclude and invite the band to come up as I make a few concluding remarks. Brothers and sisters, the faithful among God's people in the Old Testament, the faithful among God's people in the Old Testament remembered the Sabbath and kept it holy. Jesus, who we're called to imitate, remembered the Sabbath and kept it holy. 
And there's good reason to suppose that in the new heavens and the new earth, the Sabbath will be remembered and kept holy. The Sabbath isn't just part of the past. It's part of our future. Four, Isaiah 66, 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. Brothers and sisters, because the, the Sabbath was instituted at creation as a blessing for all humanity, because the Sabbath was remembered and kept by God's people in both Testaments, and because the Sabbath will be kept in the new heavens and the new earth, let us remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Amen.